But you know what she is, though. She's, she's fucking Bella Swan over again. 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Show Your Work. I'm Lainey Louie. I write about the celebrity ecosystem at laineygossip.com and I'm an entertainment reporter and talk show host. And I'm Duana Taha, a television screenwriter and producer. This is a show that dives into the work behind your favorite shows, movies, and stars. And on this episode, we're talking about two people who might not have done the work on Game of Thrones. Did David Benioff and D.B. Weiss just blow up a galaxy far, far away? Plus, Selena Gomez has new music out, but we want to know if this is the right product and whether or not there's potential for more. Finally, thanks to Allison P. Davis... We're getting horny. There we go. Welcome, everybody. Hello. How is your day? How is your life? <laughs> Duanna sounds like that because we had to retake this open because I was a brat. But anyway. You were being stubborn, and I still feel that our now discarded open, RIP open, would have been great. Lainey's working on her flexibility. I am working on my flexibility because I'm, we were talking about a Halloween costume that I think is so great that I wanted to do on Instagram because I'm so thirsty. And let's make no mistake here. Part of the reason we cut it out is because (laughs) you don't want people to steal your idea. Exactly. It's amazing. But I couldn't get one element of the costume right. And if you don't have the biggest element of the costume right, Duanna, you can't do it. I disagree if you commit, if you are an actor, that you could make it work. No. Whatever. This is not one of your MacGyver situations that you can cut like a sweatshirt and jam it here and nip it here. It, it's not that. You, you're, not, you're not ever going to convince me that this is going to work. Anyway, so I have a really great Halloween costume. It's probably going to have to wait till 2020. And I doubt that I'll be the only one who thought of it by then, but whatever, such is life. I have to move on. Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah. Um, so that's your life and trials these days. Halloween is my life right now, not only because of this costume, but because in broadcast, Halloween is such a big fucking deal. And I have spent the last couple of days Halloweening and rehearsing and blocking and whatever. And Halloween day itself is going to be a nightmare, but okay, great. That's TV. I'm not complaining. The viewers are going to get what the viewers deserve. A Halloween spectacular across all your channels. Okay. Um, I want to tell you a little bit. It's interesting that you said MacGyver because I had a revelation today. Well, I had a luxurious experience and then I had a revelation. 
I uh, had a hairstylist who was working at one place and then was moving to another and had like a non-compete. So while he was doing his non-compete, he would do house calls, which is super exciting. Right. Um, And then he's still kind of doing them, although he's now worked out his non-compete. It's hilarious that we are not the show your work of like the beauty industry, but I think that the non-competes and the drama are hilarious. Yep. But, you know, we were there and we were talking about uh, what I would like in a haircut. And then I was noticing that my own haircutting scissors were, you know, within eye shot of the area where we were working. And just as we're talking about, first of all, do you feel like, will you go simple? Do you feel like you know the terms that you want? Sometimes I know what I want without knowing the vocabulary that is current for what they are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you, like, do you study up or do you just show a picture? I generally don't, I generally try to describe it. Right. Yeah. Um. I just think I'm getting to the point more and more where I think I like cutting my own hair. I mm-hmm. think I'm those people now. Um, and I think I do a pretty decent job. I can't color my own hair. I can't do anything fancy with it. But when it comes to like a shape or a, this is getting a little heavy through here, I kind of feel like I like my, I like my handiwork. Yeah, but that's also your brand. Like you like this fucking shit. Let what me do you mean? buy this. Let me buy this. You never buy something that you just wear as it comes in the box. No, it's I do always, all the time. It's going to get here in the box. And what I'm going to do is, like I'm gonna, again, as I just said, you're going to nip it here and yank it here and this and that and the other. But that's not, the, like most things I don't. But don't you feel like, I don't understand why more people don't. There's so much freedom in it. And frankly, when I trim my own hair or like give a little layer here or there, you're always like, wow, your hair looks great. So I feel like I'm good at it. It feels very liberating. I don't have that enjoyment with the clothes and the whatnot. I prefer to buy it as is. That's what I'm paying for. I'm not <laughs> not paying myself to cut it. Although the sweatshirt I'm wearing now, I cut. Um, and who gave you the balls to do so? You did. Thank you. Um, and it's only because I find that, I find that, for some reason, and I didn't figure it out until like this year, I'm hippie. And so um, certain sweatshirts, you know, the band at the bottom, fucking hate that band. Well, most- Sometimes they make it tight. Well, I don't mind it if it's tight, if it's placed right. But most often, yes, the band is placed too low, which means you get that 80s poofy effect, yeah. which you don't, yeah. So I've started cutting the bands off of the sweatshirts. You're welcome. You're Yes, but that doesn't apply to you doing it with everything, Duanna. But I don't do it with everything. I do consider doing it with everything. I will say there is there are very few articles that cross my closet, if you will, that I'm not like... What could I do with this? How could I update this? I always want to dye things. I always want to like… I'm rolling my eyes now, everybody. <laughs> but what's wrong with that? I don't understand. It's just a lot of work. It's not. That's the fun it, part. It's just sort of like… Uh, it's an experiment. But Is I've, this why you're late when we meet? No, I'm late <laughs> because I don't like coming in at when you're like just getting home and like maybe you need to have a couple of domestic words. Because that's how words. I picture you. I picture if I'm waiting for you, I pick, it's because, oh, fuck, she's redesigning a fucking blouse. That's why. I mean, it's not never true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but I just, I find it very liberating. That said, 
can't watch a YouTube video about how to do makeup or whatnot to save my life. Nope. I don't like them. The other day I watched one and I'm like, okay, fine. I've watched one. This is how I'm going to do eyeshadow for the next 25 years now. So that's where we are. That's right. my like other, other skills on my resume. That is how we tied Halloween into your obsession. No, not obsession. Don't do that. Compulsion. I did not malign your whining. Compulsion no, no, to no. MacGyver. Don't be a brat. I did not malign your whining. Ergo, you should say, good for you, Duane. It's wonderful that you cut your own hair. It's not even that. It's not even like hair and fashion. It's a drink. Like, I will make you a drink. And what will you do? You will open my fridge and look for pickled beans, olives, onions, anything that you can do to MacGyver anything. Do you have some? (laughs) See? This is what I mean. All right. That's you. If you are still listening and you haven't been turned off by, you know, the siblings nattering podcast, uh, we are here with like a dense episode. There was some real wheeling dealing today. We back and forth. We like bargained. We bartered over if we do this this week, we can do that next week. Mm -hmm. There was some debate happening. Which is always good. It means there's a lot to talk about. And ironic, of course, because it was all with the shadow of one story that there was no debate about. No. That is the top story, the first story. And it's a story that many of you have wanted us to talk about the minute it happened. And it happened in stages. Um, The minute the first stage happened, many of you emailed and tweeted and said, this has to be show your work. And it is. It is the... Uh, Benioff and Weiss situation, the Game of Thrones situation. Well, what's funny about it is that uh, situation is is the funniest way to deal with it because you're right. There are almost three or four stories on top of one another. Yeah. Uh, if you have not been paying attention, uh, a few days ago, maybe close to a week now, uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff uh, I'm always not sure if I'm going to get those two D's mixed up. Uh, we're at Austin, I believe. And in a panel, uh, they got really into the nitty gritty of what happened during the development and initial processes of Game of Thrones. I think it was meant to be kind of an all over conversation about Game of Thrones, but it really seemed, especially based on a, a Twitter thread by at uh, 4 Arya. Um, which went super duper viral, Uh, it mainly became about the initial development of the series and how they came to be the ones who got to do it on HBO. And the fact that they were there and were willing to talk in and of itself is interesting because during the promotion of the show and then certainly afterwards, they were dropping out of events. Um, They were declining to show up or there were a couple of times when they were supposed to be somewhere to talk. And because of the backlash related to the end of the final season, particularly the final couple of episodes and how the fans were so unhappy, they sort of backed away and said, you know, we're not going to really go out there and get hammered. And the dust is settled. The Emmys are over. The series won in its last season. And now... Won the Emmy for... Yeah. Best, uh, best dramatic drama. series. And now they're back out there. And I guess since we know the whole picture now, as we mentioned, it happened in stages, it kind of makes sense why they were like, oh, let's just fucking get back out there and 
say what we want to say or say what we don't give a fuck about saying. I don't know. There were a lot of people who interpreted what they had to say as whatever the fuck. Like we are saying whatever the fuck we want to say or, you know. What's interesting, when you say it happened in stages, there was sort of, yeah, there was this Austin thread and then there was, um, you know, kind of the fallout from that. And then there have been a couple of events since then, one that happened only as recently as a couple of hours before press time. So uh, we'll start at the beginning, but obviously we're going to be referencing here and there as we go through this thread. So if you are, they really get into the nitty gritty in this thread. It was a Q&A, assumedly in a ballroom at Austin TV Festival. Yes? Yeah. And almost every answer that they give, which it seems, uh, you know, we're going on relative faith that it was tweeted uh, accurately, but there were millions of people in the ballroom. And as we say, this thread has gone so viral that uh, it's pretty easily verifiable. Almost every answer in this thread offends somebody mm-hmm. in a in a new and unique way. Like, what was your overall takeaway from this thread? You know, there was so much backlash about the final season that these two had opted out of attending a whole lot of events. They um, stuck to a message, and maybe this is because they were still beholden to HBO, they stuck to a message that this is the family, this is what we felt was the story that we believed in, Um, these were the performances, and we feel really good about what we did, we won the Emmy, yay. And pretty much that is unassailable. Yeah, absolutely. Not only because you have to stick to your vision, but because I believe that to have been true Mm -hmm. when you finish on set, finish in the suite, you dust off your hands and you walk out and you're like, we did a job. Yes. Right? We we had this vision. We delivered it. You can't please everybody. Yeah. But this is the, the thing that we were passionate about. And to be honest, you know, to play devil's advocate before we play our advocate. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, it can be really easy to lose your own vision. So when there's a million notes coming in and opinions and there's all this pressure. So I sort of applaud that in theory, even if I think that the final season was a mess Mm -hmm. and I do, I endorse their right to make a mess and to stand behind it. That's right. Me too. I agree with you. That's why when there were petitions about needing HBO to redo the final season, I didn't stand behind that then. Right. I don't know if I stand behind it now, but based on how they sold it, this is what we believed in, X, Y, Z. I was like, these are the creators. This was their vision. At least they pretended to have one. (laughs) My point here is that This is the first time, because they skipped out on so many explainer talks and panel talks, this is the first time when they actually went out and and kind of confirmed for the people who are so disappointed that, yeah, they kind of half-assed it. They didn't really give a shit. None of these answers here have any passion. They have, or conviction. It was, we kind of were playing around with some shots. And uh, we 
uh, just wanted to write it by ourselves. We weren't really sure when we went into the pitch. We couldn't believe that they actually gave us this job. Like, none of these answers say we believed so firmly in our idea that it doesn't matter that you hated it because the work that we put in is the journey. Well, it's interesting because, you know, a thing that happens often that is medium annoying, you get upset when people say my cast. Uh, And a thing that I do and also am annoyed by in equal measure is when people start talking about fictional characters as though they're real people. Mm -hmm. If I sit here and say, the thing is that Arya knows she's never going to be Sansa. And she feels in her whole body that it would be fruitless to fight and be that. That's kind of annoying. But it also means that you truly believe that those are real people. And through this thread, uh, there's virtually none of that, Mm -hmm. which does speak to them kind of feeling like they're paper dolls. Yeah. But what was interesting to me about this text thread that again went super viral, and it was at the Austin Film Fest. I think I might have said the Austin TV Festival, which is different. Um, There are maybe five or six different places or different issues with which you could get upset. So I want to kind of uh, go through and we'll discuss each given one. Uh, I think one of the first things maybe that frustrated people is that when they're talking about uh, the the pitch and the initial situation with HBO, first of all, as you said, they pointed out that they kind of got it on a hope and a prayer. Uh, David describes the pre-meeting with GRRM, George R. R. Martin, who was questioning their bona fides and, quote, we didn't really have any. We had never done TV and we didn't have any. We don't know why he trusted us with his life's work. Okay, then. Uh, I mean, that's a true thing, I suppose, and it's nice to be honest about it. But as you say, it's not backed up by any, but we were passionate and we slept outside his bungalow at uh, the Chateau Laurier, at the Chateau Marmont or whatnot. You know, it just, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, right? But even that, even that as a standalone I don't necessarily want to ever attack the fake it till you make it, uh, um, what do you call it, expression or spirit, because sometimes, as we've talked about on this show, sometimes you are presented with an opportunity you might not be ready for, but it's such a great opportunity that you go and maybe you learn on the job. I think, though, Elaine, either out of like because of the time and scope of it and how long this took to all come together, either they've lost that thing, that scrappiness that you're talking about of, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Or they never had it because I don't hear in the, in that story and in the ensuing ones, any sort of, uh, acknowledgement of how, you know, they go on to say here that they let some friends watch the first pilot and that the first pilot was basic writing mistakes. A new tweet, they acknowledge that they have no idea why after such a dismal pilot, why they went forward. Everything we could make a mistake in, we did. That was a quote. Script, casting, and costume. They think HBO went forward because they had a lot of foreign pre-sales on the series. Dan is saying that Game of Thrones was basically an expensive film school for he and Dave. For example, they had no idea how to work with costume designers, and it was a huge learning experience. 
So, okay, I can go with your point and say maybe we're still not picking too many holes because you learn on the job and, you know, there's something that's too big for you sometimes and the only way to get through it is to make mistakes. And God, I want people to make mistakes, right? Yeah. I do. But you want to believe that they were, I guess what I would have wanted to hear here if I was giving everybody the benefit of the doubt is I was following this one principle, right? Like I was really believing that so-and-so was the head of the series and they're and I turned out that I was wrong and it wasn't all about Khal Drogo or whatever. Well, to go back to your point and my point, I think you can be that. You can be the person who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing or the people who don't know what the fuck they're doing and stumble into it, but you have to have some conviction or some sort of passion. Um, they, maybe they're tired, as you said, and they didn't bother underscoring it with, well, obviously, like, there was a spark of something there. And it only got worse compounded by their subsequent comments. Because if you are not experienced and you've made every mistake in filmmaking that you can possibly make Uh in the pilot, and then you move forward and you get to seasons two and three, and you're still not hiring different writers, and you're still not staffing with women, and you're still not understanding that a lot of the problems that people are having with the show, even though they love it, is... You don't write women very well, and they keep repeating the same mistakes. That's my problem. Well, yeah. And, you know, I even believe that they, you know, again, all we ever heard was they're shooting in Croatia, they're shooting in Ireland, they're shooting in, where else, Iceland? Where did they shoot all the… Spain, All the North of the Wall stuff. Iceland, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, anyway. So they must have, I get that they were busy, but they must have had to live in a willful bubble for the longest time in order to evade all those criticisms and to still now, you know, to your point, they skipped enough press events. So why why go to this one now if they weren't going to have any satisfying answers? They, uh, like... I think that you have to take this interview or panel or whatever in combination with the news that broke that they will no longer be doing that Star Wars movie. Movie You have to take it hand in hand. That they lost the Star Wars movie or gave it up or walked away from it. However, that went down and we're like, well, fuck it. Like everything's, you know, it's, there's no sense in um, keeping up the charade anymore. We'll blow everything up and we'll move on to Netflix. Well, let's back up a minute because I don't, I think that happened later, uh, that shortly after this panel, and yes, they have deeply unsatisfying answers about, uh, why they didn't hire women. Uh, here's where, you know, it's bullshit. Uh, they said, oh, uh, when they were asked about not including women and people of color in the room, uh, we didn't have a writer's room and there was one woman who wrote a few scenes uh, and they decided up front it was going to be two of us. Oh, and uh, one of us is of Asian descent. Okay. Uh, not one of us. I should say David Hill, who's one of their, like, associates. Right. Uh, and then they, he said they wouldn't hire writers unless they were willing to be part of the production team. And implying that the one woman who was sort of uh, more substantially involved then went on to take a movie job. All of this is bullshit, by the way. And there are dozens of tweets and there are bullshit in each. But then, as you pointed out, the announcement that they were not going to be involved in the Star Wars project anymore. 
And I think the language around that is really interesting, right? Because it's not that they stepped down. Uh, the language was that they were uh, too, too busy. busy. Right. Which, <laughs> yeah. Thoughts? Well, I don't know that in this business anybody can be too busy for a Star Wars movie. For I, I get it. For like, for sure. Shonda Rhimes, whatever. But for these two, that is the Olympus, right? That is the thing. You stumbled your way through 10 years or whatever of uh, Game of Thrones on HBO. And because of the success of that, you are given the like the most precious IP. The yeah. most precious IP. The most, and when you say precious, not just money-making, but incredibly well-protected. Right. So that's, going back to what I said about in this business, who is ever too busy for a Star Wars movie? Especially since uh, when you look at the deal when it was made, uh, they were to make a new trilogy in the Star Wars universe. They were not given the pressure that exists on the current uh, Star Wars franchise, including, like, yeah. Rise of Skywalker, to finish off the existing story, right. right? This is go and take the worlds and play in a different place. That's right. And so, yeah, so then the news broke that they were uh, walking away was the language that was used. Mm -hmm. uh, and this broke on Monday um, in order to focus on their... Netflix deal, which I have to look up to see what digit they put in front of it. It's a nine-figure Netflix deal. Yeah. So two options here, as far as I'm concerned, and you can argue and tell me uh, if you think differently. Either they're just following the money around, or they couldn't get there with whatever they were pitching for Star Wars and everybody agreed that they would allow them to say, oh, you're walking away from this deal. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. I don't think it's about the money. I don't think they were following the money. They have lots of money. Mm -hmm. And of course, these people always want more money. I get that. But I think they couldn't do it. Like, the mountain of shit that fans gave them for not serving the Game of Thrones story... As we just said, Star Wars is essentially the most valuable IP. Mm -hmm. The investment that people have in this franchise and the nerdiness that they apply to these stories, they were upset about Ryan Johnson's version, which I thought was wonderful, mm -hmm. which we talked about. We really appreciated. So when you are taking the Star Wars universe and coming up with, as you said, something new and fresh to play in, you still have to answer to the Lucasfilm. bosses, yeah. Lucasfilm. You still have to answer to the keepers of the canon. And those people have such high standards, such high standards. Remember, on Game of Thrones, they ran out of road, or the author, George R.R. Martin, did not give them more road to work with. So they had a thing, a pre-existing thing that they established with source material, and then they ran off with it. They didn't have to create from scratch. And that guy was like too busy not writing his books to really have so much interference. Star Wars and Lucasfilm are completely different. They are watching you every step of the way. They don't have the wiggle room and frankly, the lack of hands-off pressure. To me, this was all about... They couldn't cut it. Well, 
it's especially ironic because at various times, Star Wars has not been applauded for its story, right? Like, it's it's interesting because that maybe is a renewed focus. I am I'm freely going to confess that my Star Wars education directly corresponds uh, with my six year old who educates me, but I know that in the like in the three prequel movies that there were a lot of complaints and whatnot. So that's a renewed focus for Lucasfilm on character on servicing the story properly. Uh, we'll put aside the whiny fanboys where Ray is concerned. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's really interesting. The other reason it's interesting to me is because you can't do any, pardon the nerdy term here, any Jedi mind tricks. Remember on Game of Thrones, an entire season that Arya spent uh, being a girl with no name yeah. and wearing all the faces. And we were like, oh, wow, how is this going to turn out? How is this going to play in in the end? Right. No way. Yeah. They were marking time. Yeah. And you you cannot do that in this world. Like, I think what we're coming up against is realizing they had super, super story problems. And what's interesting is that you say, oh, they're not following the money. But you know who does follow the money is executives, mm-hmm. right? They There are executives sitting behind Lucasfilm and HBO and all the places who could give a shit about the creative. They're like, how much money is this bringing in? Yeah. And at a certain time or to a certain extent, people talking about these guys is column inches, is viewers, is curiosity. So even that is not worth it to them. No. Because it's not going to be worth it. Like, it's not, they haven't shown that they are worth it. No. And, of course, this comes on the heels of, uh, remember their their show that was around for a hot minute, Confederate? Yeah. What if the Confederate side had won? Yeah. This is, I think, where... I'm most bothered. I'm most bothered because the dudes who are the showrunners of the biggest uh, TV series of the last decade are not writers. I don't know if they're creators, but they are fucking hell not writers. As you said, they followed a blueprint Mm -hmm. for five years. They were basically, strike me down from Hollywood now, they were like playing dolls with stories that were already written and like putting them up on screen, which is a skill. But they're but they're not coming up with ideas again with Confederate. Uh, what if the other side had won? What if? That's the whole concept. That's all that they had, and it sounds as though this is what's happening. It's certainly what happened in that full text thread with Game of Thrones. It sounds like what's what happened with this Star Wars deal or lack thereof. And you know, it's it's really extra. There's another layer to this because. We aren't having this conversation about the Star Wars deal and them either walking away or being canned from it if they're not actively blowing it up in Austin. Uh, Yeah. It's connected, right? If they don't go to Austin or if in Austin they say they stick to the party line and they say, we know people were unhappy, but we gave it our all. We wrote to these people. Uh, or we wrote for these characters, we wrote for these actors, we were a family. Again, it's unassailable in the sense of you don't get to confirm all the theories that have been out there about why the season sucked. See, to me, it's not just the season that sucked. In retrospect, the whole series is kind of a sham. 
um, because they weren't going anywhere but so many places. The, the final season failed to deliver in a lot of ways, but it also failed to tie off a lot of red herrings that they threw out to begin with. Um, so yeah, I think that not only is there, as you say, it's unassailable if they say, oh, you know, we were doing a thing, bear with us. There's also a lot of generosity when people say, oh man, you know what? When I look back on that writing room, those sex scenes that were kind of exploitative, that this, I really realized we were in a bubble. I really realized we made some mistakes. We won't do that again. And there's none of that. Sure. But do you, are you saying you really think this Star Wars deal dropped away as a direct result of that conversation? No, I'm saying they already knew that the Star Wars deal was gone. We assume, yeah. And so they, they already knew. And for whatever reason, they either had a fuck it attitude at the panel or I don't know, they wanted to move past all of this and get into Netflix, which ostensibly gives you a little bit more freedom and... That is the word, you know, in comparison, there's not as much breathing over your shoulder Mm -hmm. and they want to just turn another page. But again, Duanna, if they had taken the approach of sticking with the party line or even saying what you were saying, right? In retrospect, it's not going to happen again. Um, This Star Wars thing doesn't look as bad. Now we connect Austin and we connect the Star Wars announcement and we, the only conclusion to come up with is they couldn't cut it. It seems that way. Right. And, but what's interesting too is, you know, whether or not people are jumping on what's already in the news, i.e. if anyone at Lucasfilm thought that there was going to be fallout from canning these two, because I think we're more or less there. I think we more or less think that was what happened, right? Yeah. Um, they decided, wait a second, everybody's mad at them again. We may as well just dump it now, Right. Uh, the, the panel that they did was on Friday. This news dropped on Monday. And then just a few hours, uh, before we were set to record today, the announcement came out that the Game of Thrones prequel at HBO that was starring Naomi Watts is no more. One of them. Yeah. Is no longer. The prequel pilot. Yeah. Uh, is no longer going ahead. So there were a couple of them. The Naomi Watts one is canned, not going ahead. There's mm-hmm. another one, has nothing to do with Naomi Watts, has to do with the Targaryen family. Sure. That one is still in development. Right. Now, um, and I should say that this Naomi Watts pilot is, it's not written by Benioff and Weiss. It's written by Jane Goldman. It has nothing to do with them, except that it's, again, playing in the same uh, world in the same characters, but you kind of wonder whether everybody was just like, wow, these guys smell kind of bad. Now it's, it's, you know, we don't want to be associated with it. And again, it's a pilot, so they've already shot it. They've worked on it. Right. So yeah, it's the thing right now is, uh, the, uh, the other thing is still in development. They have more time to get it right, to buy some distance from the stink if you will. In theory, yeah. And HBO right now, over the last two weeks, is looking at hopefully their next replacement, their next major hit. Watchmen is doing okay. Mm-hmm. People are talking about it. People are excited about it. Um, it has a lot of potential. So for them, as a network, they're like, the thing that's in the can for the pilot not working, and maybe we want to like wash ourselves of this stench, let Watchmen breathe, let the other... in development breathe and we can hopefully 
put the memory of D&D uh, behind us for a while before we pick up with this shit again. But it may be that the brand is just that damaged, you know, which would be a a massive hit, uh, a, a massive hit for them to take, I mean, which is really interesting, especially as all the new streamers are coming, breathing down their necks. Yeah, I, there has have been some questions um, and conversations on Twitter. I've seen it on my feed about, you know, in 15 years, are we going to look back? As you were alluding to, was the whole series a sham? I'm not convinced um, that it is. I think that there are very strong seasons. I think season hard homes, the hard home season was uh, very strong. Five. I want to say three, but I could be confusing it with Heron Hall. Um, hard home was a very strong season, whatever episode that was in. I mean, like, listen, I didn't memorize them, but I know the key big marquee centerpiece episodes. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's an entire write-off. I think that there are a lot of things to love about the series still, even though these two have left a bad taste in people's mouths. I think that they're right up to six even. I could defend. Seven and eight were a mess, for sure. Mm -hmm. But right up to six, it was pretty great. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that we're going to revise our opinions at least of one to six in 10 to 15 years. But yeah, going forward, has the series and franchise itself maybe taken, been tarnished? I think that you add this on top of the fact that George R.R. Martin still hasn't finished those books. <laughs> yep. And yeah, if you're a Game of Thrones fan or Song of Ice and Fire, whatever it's called, yeah. then yeah, I'd be kind of bummed right now. Definitely. Yeah, and I also think, you know, it's sort of a cautionary tale for the network that, uh, you know, don't get too tied to something that is giantly expensive and amazing if you don't know for sure that somebody can land the plane. Uh, I think the other curious thing is that Hollywood is kind of notorious for, ironically, not caring to a certain extent if something is a flop. If you work on something big and you are fired from it or you work on something that didn't do great numbers or whatever, as often as not, people see it on your resume, maybe not the next week, but a year from now, you know, six months from now, and they're like, oh yeah, that was a big deal. All they see are the big titles, not whether your episode or your part of the trilogy was, you know, not widely received yeah. or whatever. So I don't know if this will hurt them. I don't know whether their Netflix shows will carry this stink with them uh, in the same way that the brand does. I wish people could see your face right now. Well, this is where I wanted to take us next because they go out to Austin and they say these things that are mostly disrespectful to people who've invested in the show, the fans, definitely. But... It's a pretty shitty thing to the actors and the crew and production as well. I mean, I guess so. I, uh, I, I, yeah, in what way? I mean, in terms of saying, uh, I'm more offended. I think I'm more offended, but in terms of them saying, yeah, we turned in a 39 minute pilot to HBO and they sent us out to do a hundred minutes more. Like a mother saying, go back up to your room and clean it better. Yeah. Like they had to be told not to half-ass it. Yeah. Um, but 
tell me about how it you think it's offensive to the cast and the crew as well. That's definitely how I read that on a personal level. Like, how dare you when, you know, so many people don't get that mom go upstairs, here's some money to make your fucking shit better. For is, sure. Yes. On a level that on a level that um, involves the whole ecosystem of Game of Thrones, like the crew and actors. Remember, this was put to bed. They won the Emmy. And a lot of that controversy has gone away in the sense of the actors did a great job of selling the end for them. They, you mean gritting their teeth through for it? Sure. And saying like, I guess. For sure. I didn't totally get it, but good for them. Amelia Clark is still answering questions about this because she's promoting a new movie, Last Christmas. And yep. so, of course, people ask her about Daenerys and about the show, and she has great answers. She's like, listen, I understand people were upset, but all I can say is that that was the time of my life. They were family to me, mm-hmm. and I will always owe something to that character. She means everything to me. Great answer. And which, again… Yeah, it's a great answer, which conveniently avoids saying, and yes. I didn't know who she was in those last six episodes. But again, as time goes on, as we both know, people's feelings get more and more muted and diluted, yes, and people, people get know. over it. Yes, agreed. You won the Emmy. Also, it… You could be up for some Golden Globes. Not anymore, assholes, like since you shot yourself. So thanks for that. Number two, if you're HBO and these guys are out there basically saying, we conned HBO into thinking we knew what we were doing and we kept conning them. And then during the production, we didn't really like, give a fuck. We were kind of kids playing with cameras and we thought this shot would be cool and that shot would be cool, but we didn't really know about the story. If I'm HBO and I'm entering the Golden Globes, which, by the way, is in voting for nominations right now, I'm like, what the fuck are you two doing? So you fucked over the actors who basically saved your ass. You fucked over the network who are like, "Um, remember, we still have like an entire award season left, but okay. And now you're moving to Netflix. Right. You've got this $250 million deal and Netflix is like, oh, we signed the guys who made Game of Thrones. Now they're like, we signed the guys who made Game of Thrones for, for nine figures. Let's not yeah. forget that, They please. weren't paid pennies. We, we signed these guys who made Game of Thrones, who made HBO a lot of money. Oh, but wait, Star Wars just fucking shot them out of the plane. Yeah. And they've just kind of uh, fucked over the good work of their actors who were out there advocating for them and their work. And they kind of like shot their own eight, like Golden Globes chances up the ass. The next time they show up at the office, if I'm Ted Sarandos, yeah. yeah, if I'm Ted Sarandos, I'm like, hey, D&D, can you just come in here for a second? Because I just, oh, I don't know how you handled this. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I don't even know if they get that talking to or if they just get fucking iced out of the place. Because yeah, if I'm Netflix and I see them going, we half-assed it, we half-assed it, the biggest thing in our career and continue to half-ass it, do you give those guys the shows or do you just quietly say that they've been too busy to complete their Netflix Mm -hmm. uh, obligations? Look, a lot of the criticism coming out of Austin about these two is that they kept failing up, which, I mean, I don't even think we have to go through that point because it's so obvious. Yep. But here's how else they failed up. They failed and they had other people pick up the pieces for them, including the network. HBO backed them and said they believed in the show and stood by it. And the actors and the crew. 
You know, there was a lot of goodwill the week after the finale. I don't know if you watched it, but there was that documentary about the making of the final season. No, I was out. And you, I get it. I get why you were out. But a lot of people who love the show watched that doc, including me. And you got to meet the production manager. I mean, it was a show your work, work, great doc, okay? And the costume designers. And that doc alone made up a large percentage of, of, of the goodwill. The sh- like, you know, what they threw away, that documentary kind of let people know, hey, while you're dumping on this, remember the hundreds of other people who put their blood, sweat, and tears in this. So maybe don't dump so hard or find another way to do it. So failing up also means that when you fail, other people pick up the pieces for you and you don't have the gratitude and you blow it up all over again. It is so monumentally disrespectful and ungrateful and Again, they still have jobs. That is the layer upon layer of failing up that we're dealing with. I guess what's interesting now is whether anything they do going forward is is thoughtful in any way. They spent time at Austin saying, yeah, no, we're basically, we're not regretting any of the decisions we made, even though they were kind of stupid. Uh, they, they loosely said some scenes were too violent and, uh, made fun of the mother of the baby who was in that, uh, baby sacrifice scene. So, (laughs) I I just, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So if we believe that people who talk like that are essentially dinosaurs, that these guys are past their prime. Are they going to make it to air with something else that is as tone deaf? Or uh, are they just going to kind of fade into obscurity? That's my rhetorical question at the end of this kind of world is where do we go from here? Are these people a relic or are they going to reinvent themselves? Because it seems like those are the only two options. Well, I have something for you that I've been saving. Oh, okay. You- I mean, I think that when I tell it to you, you won't be surprised, but I have been saving this. Go on. We happen to be talking about this, this finale of this epic series at the same time, and I didn't time it this way, that I finally finished another outstanding epic series. Mm. One that you, and I will lay it on thick here, have been haranguing me to get to for years, basically for the length of this podcast, not this episode, but the lifespan of Show Your Work. We are in our fourth season. From season one, you were telling me to watch The Americans. I started it in 2019. I finally finished it near the end of 2019. I finished it about 48 hours ago. And I should say that it's uh, it's six seasons of 10 episodes, ten episodes each. <laughs> That's not nothing. Um, I, you know, it's over, over a month is, or over a part of a year is, it's not a binge, but you know, it's a decent pace. I got through it. Yeah. But I will say that if we're talking about endings, what an ending to an already, an, like this, Amer- the Americans, you were right, Duanna Allen, the Americans is amazing, but the way they figured it out, and I would say that the trajectories are not dissimilar. In the sense of the way they both used to speak, D&D, and the uh, creators of, the creator and the showrunner of um, The Americans, Joe. Uh, there's uh, 
Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg. Right. Uh, J&J, if you will. Right. They too said that they had a map that they were following. Right. From the Because, you know, I'm now an, uh, an expert on the Americans. I've spent the last 48 hours reading everything. And there's a lot of good <laughs> reading to have. Right. And so to your question just now, to make to tie it all up, I don't understand why J&J aren't getting Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why they're not getting $250 million Netflix deals. And if we want to talk about men versus men, because like we haven't even gotten to the women piece of this and we don't have to, I think it's very obvious. But it's not like I'm um, writing off two white guys who keep failing up. There are two white guys who are responsible for the Americans and I'd be perfectly happy to see them go to Star Wars or to get a Netflix deal? Well, the short answer is uh, because they are doing incredible television that most of the time involves two to five people in a room, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody flies dragons in the Americans. Nobody is taking over a jet and uh, going places. What's happening on that show, what's making it fucking go is between the characters. And I, and it's so, and here's a really good example. Uh, When those guys talk about the ending of that series, if you know, you know, I'm not going to come close to spoiling it if you don't. But they talked about how they came up with an idea for that ending near the end of season one or early season two and said, okay, we're going to put it away, knowing that if they got lucky enough to get as many seasons as they would like, that they might go nowhere near that ending, Mm -hmm. right? And that the fact that it worked when it was supposed to was because it still worked for the characters, not because they had decided to shoehorn everything back around to them. Um, And that, to me, is the difference, right? That there's everything on the Americans is about character. Everything adds up because of who the characters are. And on a show like that, there's nothing to betray but the characters. There's mm-hmm. nothing to follow but the characters. Uh, whereas on a Game of Thrones, you start to go, wouldn't it be fucking cool if a dragon just burned up a whole city? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, why? Why would that happen? Who cares? It's fucking awesome. Well, I mean- And then when you submit your reel, you submit a reel to somebody of a dragon burning up a city- and somebody who's watching who didn't pay attention to the character work through the whole series goes, it's fucking baller. It's a dragon burning a city. Yeah. That's your pass. Like, the Joe and Joe didn't have a, or Joe and Joel didn't have a pass of a dragon where if they were in trouble, they could be like, hey, HBO, give us $50 million or whatever for this episode because we need some dragons and blowing up a battlefield and it'll get us some of, out of some storytelling trouble. Like, it was, anyway... This is not meant to be a comparison between Game of Thrones and the Americans, but all I'm saying is it just so happened that I finished a series as this was blowing up, and I thought to myself, well, a creative partnership that managed to pull something off and isn't going to blow up all the hard work of all those people, and then there you have these two guys, and I wonder why those two aren't getting a call from Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm and being like, hey, you want to come up with some shit for Star Wars? And maybe they will. Let's see what happens. Uh, As a final note... Can we take credit for that? Sure. Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, and before we go to our next story, I just want to say that uh, I decided on the weekend after you texted me frantically and, yes, apologetically about the finale, mm-hmm. I have uh, text threads from three different friends at three different periods in the last, say, year and a half as they each watched the finale separately. Uh, you and two other friends of ours, I think one last August and one in March, maybe. And I would like to publish them as a piece, just anonymously, <laughs> just, you know, to see when the OMG, 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 mm-hmm. uh, if you can track where it is. And again, if you've seen the series, you know what we're talking about. We will be back with uh, hopefully something where we're just as fired up right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So... Selena Gomez has dominated headlines for the last week. Yeah. In fact, you pointed out that this was the biggest uh, mainstream story, if you will. Yeah. Or like mainstream meaning gossip, meaning all the celebrity angles, all the ingredients you need to make a big celebrity story, right? Celebrities for celebrities' sake. Yeah. A comeback, love songs, heartbreak, vendettas publicity, um, and, well, I mean, youth, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, sure. I mean, I usually don't get here till later in a podcast story, but now I want to find out how young she is because she's one of those people who uh, has sort of, in my mind, paused uh, probably five years younger than she actually is. So I'm going to be very curious to, to see where we land. I'm 26. That's your, that's your guess? Yeah. Okay. Um, she's 27. Okay. July 22nd, 1992. Um, so she is 27 years old as of right now. Okay. All right. And so, yeah. So the, uh, as you say, the, the new song dropped and like big and splashy in terms of how it comes out and uh, who it's about and right. so forth, right? Right. Um, and I, I, okay, so is this going to be, like, let's get big talk first. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be a smash? I, depends on the benchmark for what splashing is. I don't care about, like, what the record is for what is the Billboard top 100 yeah. entry point. I mean, is this going to be the talk for, for how long? There's no, like, upcoming show for her to perform this on, etc. Is this going to be a splash or is this a, a flash in the pan? I think that this is going to have some legs. I don't know that, like, next year we'll be talking about Lose You to Love Me. Um, I don't know that, no, for sure, this song I don't think is going to set records. But I do think it's going to have legs in the sense of she's been talking about an album. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's 
basically hasn't announced, I haven't seen an announcement drop date, but she's been talking about sitting on the album for four years, but not being ready and then starting to get ready within the last year. And so I do think that the legs will involve the lead in from these two songs to the larger album and then all the promotion from the larger album and so on and so forth. Right. I mean, uh, what is interesting about it is that reading some of the press and, you know, the uh, even the interviews and the throwbacks to Taylor and then the posts that, uh, you know, are about you have been here for me this whole time and so forth. It's all treating Selena like a celebrity, right? Like it's all about, as you say, it's all about like celebrity gossip and this and that. It's all about sort of the her love life or the dramas they're in or what has come out of her celebrity life. And I I still get hung up on what the product is, mm. if any. Mm-hmm. So you and I talked a little bit before uh, we started recording and you like her voice. I do. I love her voice. Okay. I love her. I love her singing voice. Okay. I love the tone of it. And I love listening to her talk. I mean, I know that like that's not the same, but I find myself when she's in an interview and you know, some of those radio interviews, because the radio interviews, they're like 40 minutes long. Yeah. I almost never listen, watch all of those. Do you mean like when they're live that you actually watch the live? No, you stream? know, they release it on YouTube after yeah, the yeah, fact, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. And I almost never sit through 40 minutes of an interview. Sure. But I find watching and listening to her so compelling, the way she communicates, the way she expresses herself, again, the way she sounds when she's talking, um, that I'm I, I'm drawn to her that way. And there's an interesting parallel, or not parallel, but there's an interesting connect, connection here, which is why I said I wanted to talk to you about where you place her in terms of age. Mm-hmm. Because when I watch her talking, mm-hmm. she is no longer that girl anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can see, oh yeah, you are, I believe she's 27. Right. I actually don't disagree with you that I think Selena Gomez has a lot of presence. Like, putting aside her youthful face for a minute, um, you know, I think that she is compelling to look at and listen to. I can see that. I don't like her voice. I don't like the music. Mm -hmm. Although I would be interested to see her sing something that wasn't kind of the super produced. To me, it's airy voiced stuff that she releases, Right. Right. Um, so all of that in terms of having Selena Gomez on my screen or screens, as it were, I'm much more amenable to than other people. But like Selena Gomez for, for her own celebrity sake is sort of, maybe it feels like a waste a little bit. Like there are lesser people than Selena Gomez who, uh, are just trying to be famous. Right. And I guess I don't get from her a real a real feel or passion for a particular kind of craft. It feels like the crafts are a reaction to the life that she's living. Well, you asked a few minutes ago, what's the hook? Right. Like what are like 
And I think that's a really great question because her focus, even though the last time we talked about her was she was a producer, right? The last time we talked about her on this show was related to 13 Reasons Why. Why. Right. Which is its own show without going on that tangent that has had a lot of backlash and then backlash to the backlash and so forth. Right. But… But when we spoke about her, it was about producing. Yeah. It was about the work of producing and getting into into that aspect of her career. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now speaking about her. We're edging in for music. And yet, I agree with you. If you were to say, I remain unconvinced about the music and the musicianship and the pop starness, 100% I'm with you. However, I do also think we said, we just said, she's compelling in a way as a celebrity and as, is it a performer? Is it a, you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? I do. I do. I have a friend who uh, has consumed a copious amount of television, sitcom television specifically, um, And even, I say that even in the bounds of most people I know are in this industry in one way or another, but he would swear up and down that if you watch old episodes of Wizards of Waverly Place, that you will see a comedic genius in the making. Uh He swore that on that show, she had phenomenal timing, Uh good reads, that she was the real deal. I buy that. I I don't not buy it myself. I never watched a full episode of that show, but not for any particular reason. I but I can sort of see that. Mm-hmm. I can see that play, and she does have a few upcoming credits on IMDb. But it's very clear that being an actress has never been the thing for her. Right? It is. Uh, it's a sideline. Is that uh, confusing? Is what confusing? Is that confusing to you? Like Deeply. Yeah. Deeply confusing to me. Right. I mean, look, I can see it in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, sometimes when something comes too easy to you, Selena Gomez was on Barney, of all things, from, uh, from the age of nine or so, yeah. right? If TV or acting comes easier, then you want the thing that is the bad boyfriend that's harder to get at right? Even if maybe there are things that you're Mm -hmm. good at that are right in front of you. It's life. It's, yeah. I mean, I think it's life for some of us who are particularly self-flagellating. You're looking at me with with an embarrassed smile of recognition. And believe me, I wouldn't be saying it if I didn't know it myself. Uh, Yeah, there are a lot of things where you go, oh, I could just stay here and do what I'm good at, but you keep wanting the other thing. I I mean, to give you a sports analogy, it's Michael Jordan baseball. Sure. That's a great analogy. Like, remember when he fucked off from basketball and decided he wanted to go play baseball and we were like, but you're the best basketball player. <laughs> right. But that's also exactly why, right? He, yeah. He wanted to do something where he wasn't the best, where he could be essentially starting at the bottom kind sure. of thing. But I think too, um, I guess the thing is that she's gotten into that situation where she's almost Selena Gomez first and either a musician or an actress or a whatever second, right? She's Mm -hmm. actually Selena Gomez first and then a lovelorn 
stand in for everybody who has had a, a heartbreak recently. Yeah. And then a singer or an actress or whatnot. Yeah. If you compare her to Taylor Swift, for example, before Taylor Swift ever had high profile hookups, she was a songwriter, mm-hmm. right? Like that was what we got. She r- was a songwriter. She sold a song to, who was it? Tim McGraw? Who, like back yeah. in the legend of Taylor, right? Yeah, that uh, mythology of like being yeah, 14 and, and this and that and the other. For and sure. like, you know, asterisk, asterisk. But the branding was songwriter first before it was ever celebrity or girl about town or whatever, even though she wrote about her own heartbreaks. And with Selena Gomez, even though you're right, she doesn't annoy me. I'm not annoyed or frustrated to see her on my screen or presenting on an award that I watch. I don't get what it is. I don't get what the product is. I don't get what for. And I, I, I hadn't thought about that, or at least it hadn't kind of crystallized for me until, yeah, you started chipping at it today, tonight. And you're like, I get it. She's a big deal, right? She is internationally famous. Um, and some of the songs are okay, but I wouldn't say that she's released any legendary bangers. No. Um, and Nor any true torch songs, right? Like uh, uh, Lose You to Love Me, which not a great title. No. It wants to be Adele, right? Yep. And it's not. It's not. Um, and yet there is mild success there. I mean, we can't say that the singing career is a flop. No, it's she's not a she's flop. She's for sure successful. And she's got some like, you know… Um, She's got some songs that have charted and people know, like, that she works with, you know, everybody has this, I I call it songs with DJs. Yes. Right? (laughs) She's got a couple of songs with DJs that I'm sure of her, like, within a certain fan base, they're big songs. And yet, I think that what we're, we're mining at is that there's the potential to be, like, even more massive if the work focus is shifted. Yeah, right. I think if if she was gonna be, and she's already massive. She's massive, but she's again her celebrity far out, far eclipses her work product. Yes. If she were going to be, gonna go ahead and say it. If she were gonna be Julia Roberts, for example, big face, big smile, big personality, um, and Julia Roberts had some flops and things. But if she was going to lean into the fact that everybody really likes her, I think there's a huge and viable career there. Um, you know, like in things that allow her to do her trademark things, right? See, yeah. I'm thinking about uh, whenever Selena performed her last single a couple of years ago, wearing what looked like a weird, like, Penoir negligee thing uh, on some. AMAs or something. Yeah. And she got really emotional. And yeah. And seemed almost like she wasn't all that excited to perform. Right? Like she almost seems out of her depth in this arena, which then conversely is kind of compelling. Well, I actually like that song a lot. It's um, it's a song with a DJ. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> it's Wolves. Yes. And I, I like that song a lot. Uh-huh. But again, when we go back to that banger talk, like, it's is not an it? anthem. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if, let me float this 
right now to you. I wonder if you've you've thrown out Julia Roberts, you threw out um, earlier, uh, what other name, Taylor, not as direct comparisons, but if she wants to be X or oh, right, Y. Right, right, right. I said it wants to be Adele and it's yeah. not Adele. Like in terms of a torch song and let's yeah. all cry together, right? That's right. I wonder if the the more, like, not apt or even compelling, but the name that keeps popping in my mind is Jennifer Lopez. In the mm. sense that, mm-hmm. look, we love J-Lo. No question. No question. Not the best singer. No. Not, if you're talking about voice and weak voices no, no, and no, light. No, not the best singer. No. no. Not the best singer. Great dancer. Yeah. Um, hasn't, acting hasn't been showcased in the right ways until recently. Or people weren't looking, right? Because that's the, right. And I, not to nitpick, but the the story always comes up. Jennifer Lopez, not a great actor. And then as soon as it's out of somebody's mouth, somebody else says, did you not see Out, out of sight? sight? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, and she got Selena. She can get Selena based on the fact that she could sing, as you point out. She right. got Selena based on the fact that she can act. Yeah. With a fucking healthy dose of charisma on the side. Right. So, okay, keep going with so this it was, simile. It was Selena, the movie, mm-hmm. and great acting, out of sight. And then there was the 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 career, the music career. Right. Which was success, is, was successful. 100%. I mean, at the beginning, right? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, yes, agreed. Like, and, through the 90s. Uh, yeah, or like the, the early 2000s, yeah. 2004s. The Jerule yes. era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what it is, though. I would say that all of her songs, and we'd have to go back and see who's the biggest credited songwriter, they're catchy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Love Don't Cost a Thing. We could sing the whole thing right yep. now. Um, you know, uh, I'm Real with Ja Rule, yeah. right? Or uh, what's the one with uh, LL Cool J? My pride is all I have. Pride is what you had, baby girl. I'm what you have. Um, I can keep going. Um, no, waiting for tonight. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like the yeah, it was a whole album. Yeah. Or maybe half the half the tracks on two albums that yeah. were like they were playable, playable tracks over and over. That's right. And so. Obviously, we are not anywhere near. Like, Selena Gomez is 27. J-Lo is J-Lo at 50. And yet, I think that there is potential for Selena Gomez to have a similar career if the singing and the acting are to be happening at the same time. But there is a secret sauce or a move or three or a strategy that's missing. Well, now you are making me think out loud because what is missing if we say Jennifer Lopez or Julia Roberts or, I don't know, throw another name at me that we haven't said, those women have talents and talent, but they are charisma factories, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that Selena Gomez is a bit of an enigma is I think she could be a charisma factory, right? Yeah. Now let's go back to my friend who said that she was a comedic genius mm-hmm. in the making. Yeah. But often, like, the the real funny kids on those shows are the punchline, right? They're muggy. They're, like, 
big faces. Yeah. You know what I'm kind of talking about. Yeah. Um, but she was this beautiful leading lady and not muggy. And I, what I'm getting at here is I wonder if the mouse kind of tamped down some mm. of her sparkle. Yeah. I wonder if she was told by them and then maybe by certain longtime love affairs uh, to, you know, put a lid on it. Like, yeah. don't be all of you. Don't be extra. Yeah. Uh, because there are so many other people who need you not to be. I mean, to me, the most important thing that she says, <clears throat> to me, the most, uh, like, gutting thing that she says in that song, what's the lyric? Uh, you sang flat on my chorus because you, it wasn't yours? You sang off key in my chorus. I fucking love that lyric. Yeah. You sang off key in my chorus because it wasn't yours. Yeah. So that, this is a massive extrapolation from one small lyric, but that to me says, oh, so you've been kind of taking second place for a long time, right? Yeah. Whatever you have to say about the comparisons that we have been talking about here, and and again, not to compare people all the time, but those people launched out of the gate as themselves without being told, hey, Julia, why don't you consider mm-hmm. giving Sally Field some airtime yeah. or Annabeth Gish? Hey, hey, J-Lo, uh, why don't you just take a back seat and let Edward James almost have some, <laughs> have some room? Right. No, she's there to be her. Yeah. And that maybe is what has been missing up to now. Yeah. And instead, she's kind of become every girl, right? Nobody doesn't like her. No, nobody doesn't like her, uh, but I do, I do think, I love everything, all the points you're making here, um, going all the way back to Waverly Place. Is it Waverly Place? Mm-hmm. Wizards of Waverly Wizards Place. Wizards and, um, and noting on her IMDb that she has credits like The Big Short, and she has a credit like, you know, The Dead Don't Die, which was uh, just this past summer it came out. And this is working with really high-level directors. I right? forgot all about The Big Short until you mentioned it. So The Big Short is, I mean, it was Oscar-nominated. It's a funny movie. It's great. Darkly funny, really sharp. And it's directed by Adam McKay. Adam McKay has a great reputation, right? Mm-hmm. Did he need to put Selena Gomez in the movie? No. no? It, to your point, he could have put anybody he wanted in the movie. Yeah. Who's the other person who has the sort of one-off role in a similar way as Selena Gomez? Is it it Margot Margot Robbie? Robbie? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Selena Gomez didn't – and her role was like as an explainer. Do you remember? She kind of like does a quick scene where she breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of places where they said, hey, this is all getting too weedy. Right. And she does a great job. Absolutely. She's funny. She is quirky. She's all the things that your friend said he saw. And – in um, The Dead Don't Go... Sorry, go ahead. And I'm just sorry to cut you up, but in confident. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing is, if you haven't seen The Big Short in a while, to be able to stride in... It's a tongue-in-cheek, those roles, but to be able to stride in and throw around all the financial terms and be given the job, as you say, of an explainer, you have to know what you're talking about. To your point... She seems very much like an adult in that movie. Yep. And she seems very, very confident in what she's doing. Yeah. There's no wallflower there. No. Similarly, in The Dead Don't Die, this is a Jim Jarmusch movie. Oh, there you go. So, again, another director who 
doesn't put people in his movies just for the sake of it. Like, he didn't need to put Selena. Nobody was like, hey, throw Selena Gomez in your movie so you can get the teens. Like, that was not the consideration. She was in the movie because he evidently thinks she's good. And it's also one of those darkly dark comedy, quirky, um, point of view, weird movies. So she's got it. And there are people in the industry who can see it. Well, ironically, uh, one of the most uh, up-to-date references on her uh, IMDb, speaking of uh, people who notice, uh, is that she's third billed in A Rainy Day in New York, which is, of course, a Woody Allen movie. Hem. Um, Actually, I don't even know where I'm going with that (laughs) hem, except that everybody who, you know, has something to say about Woody Allen is very likely correct, uh, has nonetheless been somebody who has found talent in the past, right? Is not going to suffer fools. Is that a fair statement? Yep. So to your point, the product. Yep. I want to see more of that product. So I do too. And I, I love the fantasy Selena Gomez that we're talking about here. But then there's the other side of it, which is, does she? She's doing just fucking fine without being anybody we want her to be. Nobody by any, again, I'm going to use the word benchmark of success, is going to agree with us, I think, when uh, on a show your work discussion, we're like, a little lacking here. And yet... Lacking in product, but she's not lacking in success. No. And yet, I think what we are always trying to do on this show, number one, is we love strategy. Like, we love managing people's careers for them, so number like that. Yep. But number two, it's for both of us. And I think for a lot of people out there, it feels a little deflating when you can see that someone is like much better at basketball. Well, there's that awful (laughs) word, potential. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I don't know if potential has ever been used in a positive way. Has it? You never say to somebody, you have so much potential and you've lived up to it. Congratulations. It's only ever you, there's so much potential. It's associated with disappointment. That's right. It's the gap between uh, potential and achievement and actual achievement, right? So uh, whatever, it's a bad buzzword. But yeah, there's so much there that you see that could be there. Mm -hmm. And if she's a big enough celebrity, which she is at this point, she's almost establishment now. Yeah. My God, she was born in 92. But for the long haul, for the long road, for us to still turn on the Oscars or Emmys or whatever in 10 years and go, oh, there's Selena Gomez. Yeah. I think it's time for her to let some of her out, right? Yeah. And I think it will be necessary as some of the contemporaries fall away. Yeah. As some of them don't transition into being women mm-hmm. uh, who are no longer ingenues in the industry, right? Yeah. I, I want to see her, like, get her teeth out. No pun intended. I agree. I agree. I, you know, in having this discussion, I think uh, you use the word enigma. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in having this discussion, you use the word enigma. And we've also used the word potential. Yeah. And I think what we're trying to say is not that we're not interested in Selena Gomez. We just want more. In short, at the risk of being super cliche about it, we would like Selena to show her work. Uh Uh-huh. And not to have the 
the life stuff takes such center stage because I suspect there is so much work teeming just under the surface. Okay, so our last story, uh, sometimes you say, oh, I found something I knew I was going to have to talk you into it. And when I saw this story, I thought, first of all, how have you not already sent it to me? Right. Uh, And secondly, how many ways can we go with this on the podcast? Because it has all your favorite things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read basically the headline Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to pause at parts and you can fill us in on why you love each part of this, right? So this is uh, a publishing announcement. And uh, that came out last week, and it says, writer for New York Magazine and The Cut, Allison Davis. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. She is one of the best celebrity profile writers in the business. And we usually refer to her as Allison P. Davis, yes? That's right. Right. I wonder why they didn't hear it. That's interesting, because we were talking earlier about somebody I know who uh, professionally and thus personally always uses their middle initial. Yeah. And usually that's because there's somebody else who has the same name. Yeah. So I wonder what happened here. Anyway, writer for New York Magazine and The Cut, Allison P. Davis's Horny, a narrative exploration combining cultural reporting, which you like. Definitely. And personal storytelling. Also. Always. Yeah. Of one of the last great taboos, Female horniness. I love it. So this is a this is a sale um, by a big agent to uh, a an interesting press. Uh, this came out last week. So I knew that this is all the things that you love and that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious about whether we can do a dot to dot. How do you think a career of celebrity profiles, as you say, she is the best in the business, how does a career in celebrity profiles draw us to writing about one of the last great taboos, female horniness? And go. Okay. Well, the first thing I want to say is that, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a bit of an Alison P. stalker. She wrote a piece for a travel magazine a few years ago where she talked about dating apps and how basically Tinder sucked for her in New York and that she went to Europe and like was getting ass all over the place. Why did she say that Twitter sucked for her in New York? Like what was the… Well, she specifically focused on being a woman of color. Mm -hmm. As a black woman, how slim the pickings were in America, and you think in Europe they are more homogenous in certain countries, let's say Sweden, for example. And there are stereotypes about racism and whatever. And that's not to say that that's not true. Yeah, yeah, However, in her experience, she was like, well, I got to like Sweden or wherever she was, and um, I got hit up so much more, and it was like so much greater for my ego, and I, you know, it was way better than the shit that I was like mucking around with in over in Brooklyn or right. whatever. So basically, the piece was uh, Tinder is better in Europe. Loosely, <laughs> she was, and so there was a really, and there are some facts there too about, um, and you've heard it before. Many people heard it, have heard it before on dating apps. The people who are 
swiped the least or matched up with the least are black women and Asian men. At least it was a few few years ago. So she was introducing within her own personal storytelling, introducing some themes and realities about what it's like to be dating when you are, quote unquote, and I'm like you belong to an unpopular demographic per dating apps. Sure. Um, So I already knew that like these are the kinds of things that Allison has been thinking about. How do you relate them to celebrity culture? Well, I'm going to even take issue with you a little bit because um, I think that one of the things that's fascinating about uh, Tinder or Hinge or anything else, especially from uh, you and I are always moaning about the fact that they came about after we were too married to use them. Fuck. I want it. Like, I, listen, I want to be on Tinder so bad, but, but in an allowed to be way. But, um, well, and there's lots of things to say there that I think we'll get into, but I think that dating app is a bit of a misnomer, right? For every person, and there are many who meet their partners on Tinder or, uh, whatever, Raya or Hinge or whatnot, there are dozens of others who are just hooking up. Yes? Yeah. And I don't. I'm not saying that in any way pejoratively. No. I think what they have tapped into is the idea that, uh, you know, chicken and egg about whether it's economic reasons or whatever, there's much less coupling in the traditional uh, fiscal sense going on. Ergo, people still need to get a leg over. Ergo, here's how you do it. Yeah. Um. So I think that they themselves, I guess what I'm getting at is that you saying that Allison is into this space by writing about Tinder is still, there's still a euphemism covering it over with dating apps. Or I met nice people in Switzerland. Right. I wanted to date people or I, I met people while I was traveling. That's she was a down to fuck. Sure. But not just her. No. Is the point. Yeah. Right? Like this is a thing that hasn't been written about much. No. So I thoroughly interrupted you. Please continue your dot to dot. I, so I'm trying to make the dot. So going from that travel article to um, a hilarious article, I mean, all her articles are hilarious, but a hilarious article she wrote, a profile of Noah Centineo, like basically right after to all the boys I've loved before. And she spent some time with him and it was like kind of a date. And that whole rom-com meet cute there could be yeah, a thing yeah here right that. yep like profile writer is assigned to whatever yep. a hot guy I don't know that's def like that's not what she was going for but it could be the premise it could be the premise of a rom-com right and so I that is where I would connect the dot but I, like I'm sure you have a much more like a much more intelligent dot to connect Well, I don't, and it wasn't a test, but I do love that you have her, basically all her articles on, like, memory (laughs) in your file facts that you're just flipping through. She's amazing. I agree. Um, I think what's interesting to me, I mean, the wording that I used earlier uh, in our conversation about one of the last taboos is not my wording. That's what was written in the press release. Mm -hmm. And I assume probably written in the book proposal. Uh, One of the last great female taboos. So, or one of the last great taboos, female horniness. So 
that makes me wonder, A, whether uh, some of this is uh, observations that have been excised from Allison's more, uh, more mainstream writing, whether she has been edited uh, to remove some thirst right. here or there, for example. Yeah. Um, and I also think that there's something interesting in somebody who is such a keen observer of people is maybe uh, it's an eventuality that they're going to be uh, somebody who is interested in sex and desire, right? Yeah. I kind of believe that people who are interested in people are usually the same people who can find something attractive in everyone. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have those people that you know or friends who say, oh, I was just talking to so-and-so, and and you're like, ew, that guy's like lame and boring and accounting and I don't ever want to talk to him. Right. And then they, by the time they finish telling you about some story that they got out of him in the photocopy room, you're like, that guy's fascinating. And you can start to see where maybe that person also sees the seeds of desire. So in short... Uh, do you think you have to be, I guess, or does Allison have to be interested in people to be interested in horniness? Yes. Say more, as they say on a therapy podcast. Well, the reason I paused is because I'm surprised you would ask that question because you're, I feel like you're the person who is always going to say, well, of course you have to be interested in the person to be, like, interested in the horniness. Like, you're the one who's always telling me, or, like, we're always fighting, you, me, and Sasha, about, like, I'll just see some surfer boy and be like, oh, I think he's hot. I would totally fuck him. And you're like, I need to know the backstory. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I do usually need to. Uh, yeah, but you know what? But this is kind of why I ask you. Because uh, I'm going to call you out a little bit, but I don't think it's a super secret. Uh, you like a dirty book every now and again. Yes. Right. But here's the thing. You know what doesn't have a backstory? Like a three-minute porn clip. You know what does? A dirty book. Right? Mm. Like the whole point Mm -hmm. of written erotica is that they are setting up a scenario for you, that they are giving you inner monologues and motivations. And if I were being way too open about my own preferences. Let's hear it. I would say that a lot of porn doesn't have enough talking. Yep. So this is where the interest… I'm 100% with you there, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sex talking, like dirty talking is… That's why I like the books. Yes. If there's two human beings in a room, I want to know why they're attracted to each other, even if it's only about Mm -hmm. the shape of your ass. And even then I want you to articulate it. Or it sometimes it's just feeling like it, it feels like this. I yeah, can't all... wait to feel that. Yeah. But again, let me hear it. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. I don't know why, like we're, I'm acting like I'm such an innocent here. I don't know why you are either, <laughs> but it's very charming. Um, well maybe that's her point, right? The last, uh, the last taboo female desire. I mean, this is not a women's studies class, so I'm not going to get into why per se it's a taboo in terms of like female horniness being a taboo because, uh, you know, it doesn't do anything for agrarian societies or whatever, or uh, I don't know. Uh, This is where 
I zone out a little bit. Okay. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like a, society, a sociology class. Sure. Yeah. Somebody saying no, about blah, blah, blah. We don't blah, need blah. to take this academic. We, we don't. just need to stay dirty. Right. But I, but I do think there's, like, I just keep wondering what were the things that were happening in and around the celebrity interviews, especially since we're supposed to be attracted to celebrities. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to think about their sex lives. We just finished talking about how Selena Gomez's love life is almost uh, superseding her career. Right. So, or is the basis of her career. So I'm always curious about what the link is there. I guess with Allison, if you've been reading her work, the book is um, the culmination of Mm -hmm. sex, which she's been writing about Mm -hmm. for years, whether it's about a TV show or about a celebrity. And you remember 2018 was the year of BDE, Big Dick Energy. Oh, yeah. So it came up on Twitter for sure. But then she was the one who picked up on it and wrote the definitive first article on Big Dick Energy and Pete Davidson. Which, uh, you know, uh, and nobody needs me to explain it, but I loved that article because of the word energy. Because it talks about how sex and, uh, like, appeal is somewhere in between. It's not physical attraction on its own, and it's not, like, interaction on its own. It's something else. It's It's pheromonal, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Here's a paragraph from the article. While some of us know what BDA is intuitively or can quickly recall the names of people we know who have it, it's not as obvious to everyone. So here, a BDE FAQ, because big dick energy is the best thing to happen to the internet this week. And then she goes into, how do you know if someone has it? Do you have to have a big dick to have it? What is the opposite of it? Who has it? And then she runs through a list of names and then, is this an HR-approved way to discuss people? <laughs> um, so, again, she's always been circling this idea of sex and sexual energy. Right. And that thing that lives somewhere in the space mm-hmm. between the mental and the physical. Yeah. And so, it's turning it into a book. Which I'm super, super here for. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. I, you know, she also has an article, and we'll link all of these, of course, uh, from years ago, talking about uh, the best historical sex scenes, yeah, uh, which is hilarious, especially because I'm looking forward to watching uh, Dickinson on Apple Plus when it launches, and I feel like that'll be a nice uh, comparison to add to things. But there's still so little female sex for female sex sake in uh, our popular culture that's not tied to pregnancy or a discussion about abortion or about like is that guy weird to me? Uh, scrolling through Allison P. Davis's archives, we came across a lot of articles about awkward sex scenes and girls. Uh, so we take it where we can get it. So yeah. I'm very, very excited. And we take it where we can get it when it can intersect with culture and celebrity. I mean, this is weirdly an industry that sells sex, right? And yet is mm-hmm. so puritanical about it. Right. And now I have the weirdest recommendation coming off this conversation because it's so rare that we see it, right? Like where else is there, sometimes on Insecure, there's sex for fun's sake, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I, 
I'm trying to think like it's certainly at some point on Sex in the City, which is now like, you know, in hindsight, we all think about all the problems, but certainly at some times there was sex for enjoyment's sake there, right? And yes. horniness for horniness' sake. Yeah. Um, we shouldn't be working this hard to find it. Just where sex and desire aren't tied to anything else that's a cultural issue. But even when we were talking about, like, those books. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. books that I read. Yes. The reality is that sometimes it's fun to just read three hours of it and not want to be with anybody else but yourself. Uh-huh. And getting to a certain page where you're like, okay, I just need to stop here. It's so good. I'm going to rub one out and then I keep reading. Uh, uh, sure. And, like that's, yeah, being, uh, yeah, having your own sexual relationship with yourself is right. part of that game, right? Which is fucking corny to say. Like, I, you know, that whole, I'm not saying you're corny, but it is for sure, like, in a way it's become a little bit goopy and... I think that the way that she is going to do it is the ungoopiest way possible. I, like, I don't want to hear about it in relation to self-care. No, no, no. Right, I see what do you know saying. what I mean? Yes. Or, or you mean like uh, high-end Instagram sex toys yeah. that are like marketed towards like a beautiful milk bath that you might take? Exactly. Right. I don't want to. And I think that that's where what is attracting to us to this product or, you know, this this book by Allison is that I don't sense any goopiness about it. I don't sense that it's about like be one with yourself with essential oils and whatnot. Well, you know why, right? I am no shy retiring flower, but I've always hated the word horny. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Yeah. But I love it. I, I've never liked it. I don't like using it in a sentence. Right. Um, especially if you have to describe someone. He is, she is, right. I am, you are. I don't yeah. like it. But by using the word horniness in the description, mm-hmm. it takes it away from desire or intimacy or any other word that has become a euphemism. Right? Right. Like sometimes, you know, you click on something online that's like uh, the hot passion and desire of, and then when you click it, it's like my cookware. And you're like, fuck you. (laughs) Right. There is no mistaking the word horny, right? Yes. Um, And so I'm, I'm deeply into this for that reason. And I think she probably did this for that reason. Um. So until we get there, though, I have an unconventional suggestion for you. Okay. Um, there aren't enough. I still am annoyed that five minutes ago we were talking about places where women got to have fun sex for fun sex's sake on TV and that we don't have copious numbers of them, right? No. Um, you were struggling. A little bit. And like, yes, you're going to email me and I'll take them and so forth, but they're not copious ones. However, they're also not the Americans, P.S. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Which is how you tried to hook me. Well, they're, they have sex on that show. I didn't say it was uh, guilt-free and Ugh. with abandon. Right. The show that you should be watching, if you want to talk about, like, unbridled female sexuality, the least 
likely show on television. I knew you were going to wedge this one in. Did you? I Well, n- now it's become obvious that What's you were going to wedge the show in. Wait, well, let's see. I wish I could write it down on a note and show people. The show on Freeform. What? Oh, no, no, no. But that one too. Um, no, you're thinking of Good Trouble. Yeah. Uh, which I like, which is a spinoff of The Fosters. Uh, and that's very modern. It's about 20-somethings who literally... Uh, have sex and go to work and care about work and sex. And like, there's not really about dating or friendship. There's almost no time for anything but work and sex. It's great. No, uh, this is going to make that look very predictable. I'm talking about Big Mouth. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, if you have not watched Big Mouth, you need to really prepare yourself and get in. Um, because have you watched it yourself? I've watched two episodes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is raunchy. It is raunchy as hell, but also innocent and so smart. The basic concept is that there's a group of friends who are roughly 12, 13 years old, and they get visited by hormone (laughs) monsters as they, you know, start to become like sexual beings, Right. But because it's being made about 12-year-olds, but in 2019, it is… And voiced by adults. Yeah. Oh, yes. Voiced by adults. Uh, Maya Rudolph. Nick Kroll is the creator. Um, We definitely heard Amy Poehler sail by on an episode the other day. Jenny Slate. Jesse Klein is one of the writers. But one of the things that they're doing, and that if you read about the show, they talk about a lot, there's all kinds of dick and ball humor. Yeah. All kinds. And so they weren't sure early on if they were going to show vaginas, if they were going to show what happens with them in the period sense or in the masturbation sense. And they do. And it's not, again, animated vaginas. Like the, here's a spoiler, like there's a a, a certain area of the female anatomy is voiced by Kristen Wiig. Clit. There you go. Um, (laughs) No, I think it's meant to be the whole, the whole vagina. But anyway. Okay. Um, it's because it's being played sort of very raunchy and dirty and very innocent at the same time, it is quite, quite equal. And you start to see what would happen if young girls had their desire develop, had their horniness develop without any outside sort of interference, at least at first. I really highly recommend that you watch it. It is so entertaining and so smart. Uh, And because it's for adults and voiced by adults, as you say, there's a lot of character continuity. So it's more satisfying than you expect an animated comedy is going to be. Check it out. Let me know what you think. And you, I'm just going to start haranguing you to keep watching it. You know what? There is like a adult section of Heads Up. Should we just play that oh. to take us out? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, we are going to be doing in a couple of weeks uh, a really, a lot of your mail. We're going to read some of the stuff you've been sending and uh, that we hope you continue to send. Uh, but let us know what you think about what I hope is now a regular feature, which is ending on a game of Heads Up because we're really into it. And so is your dog, who is so desperate to get in on this. Okay. Well, we'll ignore my dog. And this is a category called adult supervision. Ooh. Two. And I will go first as the guesser. Okay. 
Get ready. Three, two, one. I have no idea what this is, and I think I'm pretty cool. Skip it. I'm disappointed. Uh, it's a word for a sex worker or prostitute, but it has to do with where they are. Outside. Streetwalker. Yes. This is uh, a drink, an alcoholic drink that might be served in the South. Blowjob. No, less sexy. It's uh, bourbon. Uh, Old fashioned. It's a name for julep. Yes. Uh, this is a kind of wax job that you might get. Bikini. You, Brazilian. Uh, but when you have those landing you might, strip. Yes. Uh, the kind of yogurt that is Greek. No, but it's uh, it's kind of skinny, so therefore it is. Uh, it Light. has, uh, specifically foam cum. Uh, it's, <laughs> it has no calories or fat. Yes. Uh, what the fuck does that have to do with sex? I don't know. Maybe you oversell the adult supervision. It was, what's a five O? Okay. I, the first, that was the first clue. I have no idea what a five O might be. Okay. All right. Let's try this again. Uh, I bet you all be better at this because it's dirty. Excuse me. <laughs> now, did you go with first adult supervision? I went with two, but even feel free to adulter? do different. Well, all right. Let's see. Let's go with the same. I want to see if it comes up with like a rando cocktail again, Kay. as though that's a thing. Okay, here we go. Um, Like when you diss someone in today's speak, you... I, a lamp and a lamp? Like when you diss someone, when you like disrespect them. Oh, you them. shade them. Yes. Um, oh, like when you, if you like feet, you have a fetish or a fondness a or, fetish, a or that's your particular kink. Yeah. When the penis goes in all the way, it is tapping your cervix or. A mine, you drill. Uh, uh, drilling down, dived in. How many feet under is? Oh Christ! I is don't a know. word for very low. Oh, or, like bottoming out? Sure, or a wor- one word for very low or in in uh, very very next. Uh, a drug that helps your hair grow. Uh, Rogaine. Yes. Okay. <laughs> How did you not know the word for deep or deep? When the dick goes deep, deep What dicking? was the clue? Deep is the whole, no, deep, deep is was the, the whole word. Clue. Okay. Guys, <laughs> I think what we found is that the adult categories are a lot more broad than maybe we were yeah. hoping coming out of that conversation. It's not dirty at all. No. I'm going to make up my own X-rated heads up for deep dicking shit. Can you do that? Can you make a heads up category? We should submit. That's a great idea. We should submit to Heads Up, have an X-rated area where we can have expressions like deep dicking and uh, cum shots. And if 5-0 is a position or something we don't know uh, <laughs> or anything, I think it might just be like, isn't it like, like the, the police? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> we weren't thinking about the cops. When we chose the adult supervision. Anyway, thank you for listening. Send us your letters. Please do. We're going to be reading a bunch of mail that we've been getting all season. We have a bunch of exciting shows coming up for you. We also have some homework. Apple Plus 
starts on November 1st. That is two days from now. So you'll be wanting to check out everything in particular. Deep dive into the morning show because we are going to be really talking about that Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon opus next week. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave comments and reviews. They help people find us. No matter what they say, I discovered, which is great. Thank you so much for listening. Work hard. See you next time. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.